Let's open up our Bibles tonight to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Tonight we're going to finish this little three-part series that I've been doing on the fact that Christ was born to die. Next Sunday night we will not be having service. If uh, you are free and want to come to our house for the evening, that's fine. Melody and I are just going to read through the Christmas story and, and sing some choruses and pray together. And you're welcome to join us if you'd like to. That'll be about 6 o'clock. But if uh, otherwise, just enjoy your fellowship with your family. And uh, that'll be good. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9. And I want to read verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and of, uh, 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 sorry, bull, blood of goats and calves, but by the blood, his own blood entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the, uh, the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more So the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. As we consider this tonight, I want us to consider the fact that Jesus Christ was born to die as our sacrifice. And that is a very important truth for us to grasp uh, as it's has a great bearing on our eternal salvation of what Christ did for us. And as we look at this here, we see, first of all, that animal sacrifices were insufficient. And it's important for us to grasp that. You know, often you're reading in the Old Testament and God says they were to offer these sacrifices and this sacrifice for that and another sacrifice. And sometimes your mind kind of boggles trying to figure out all the sacrifices and what they were for and and which ones they had to burn all up, and which ones they could eat part of, and which ones were just, you know, a certain portion of it, and all these. But all those sacrifices were important, but none of them were sufficient to pay the debt of their sin. And we see here that uh, in this passage that we've just read, that the animal sacrifices were insufficient. They were limited in, in their provision. They were limited in their, what they could do for them. Uh, they did not. They did fulfill the requirements that God had laid down in the law. Uh, God said, "This is what you're supposed to do." And he, you know, you read the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus, and a lot of those have all kinds of rules and laws and restrictions on what they were supposed to do in order to be able to uh, deal with their sin. And yet, they, though they were obeying what God said, they only temporarily covered their sins. And uh, Psalm 32.1 says that blessed is the man whose sin is uh, forgiven. And so they were able to have a sense of forgiveness. But even then, God rejected those offerings that were performed insincerely. In the book of Hosea, chapter 8, we saw in verse 13 how the people were bringing insincere offerings. They were doing the right thing, but they were doing it insincerely. And God said, I don't want that. I won't accept that. Then other times in the book of Malachi, we see that, uh, that the people were bringing sacrifices that were not clean and pure. 
They weren't spotless sacrifices. And God said, you wouldn't offer that kind of stuff to your governor or somebody else. Why would you try offering it to me? I don't want that. And God rejected their offerings because they weren't all that God expected of them. Peter Patton, his commentary, makes this comment that I think is very helpful. Uh, He reminds us that animal sacrifices could never purify the heart, making men clean within. They were a picture of, of what would be not a genuine means of purifying or of propitiation or of dealing with sin or of cleansing. So these were a picture. We could see the type in that when they would slit the throat of the animal, pour out the blood, offer the burnt sacrifice, and do those things. They were a picture of God's way of providing for sin, but they didn't take care of of the sin situation in the same way as Christ would. And Paul's Paul confirms this in the very next chapter, in chapter 10, in verse number 4. He says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Now, that's important for us to see. So all of those sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament, none of them took away sin. All they did was covered sin temporarily. They did appease God. They did what God was asking them to do. But it didn't take, care, take away sin. It never permanently solved the problem. And so then as we also look at this, we see that it was limited in duration. It didn't last. Those, in, uh, those Old Testament sacrifices had to be repeated again and again and again and again. Every time there was a sin, they'd have to do it again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 11, we read, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So they offer these sacrifices over and over and over, but yet they could not take away sin. There was daily sacrifices, monthly sacrifices. There were yearly sacrifices. There were holy day sacrifices. They had sacrifices for all sorts of things and all different events. But each of them had a purpose, but none of them could take away sin. And then when we look at what Christ did for us, here in verse number 14, he's making the comparison. He says, how much more? Those are important words. How much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Christ's sacrifice was all sufficient. Uh, It provided the ultimate provision, the blood of Christ, the blood of the God-man, the perfect Lamb of God, the divine Christ paid the debt for our sins. And so his blood was sufficient, all sufficient, and Christ through his, through eternal spirit offered himself, and we ask ourselves, what does it mean by through the eternal spirit? That's an important question to ask ourselves because you, know, you read there and he says, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, what does that mean? Well, the word spirit in our Bible is capitalized, so the translators assumed it was speaking of a person, not just a, a, an influence. Uh, but as you look at this, first of all, if, if you look at it in the original language, there is no article. The the doesn't exist. 
So it literally reads, through eternal spirit. That has a bearing on it, because the definite article would qualify the spirit. But then also we see that, you know, it's not likely that it's referring to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is never referred to in this way any place else in the Bible. It doesn't necessarily rule it out, but it's unlikely, because that's not how the Spirit was referred to as the eternal Spirit. Was it angels? No, I don't think it could be angels. Why not? Well, angels weren't eternal. Angels weren't eternal. They were created by God. So it couldn't have been an angel. Many conservative commentators believe, and I think that they're right, that they're, it was speaking of Christ's eternal spirit. The eternal spirit that he had within himself, who through his own eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Being eternal, he was able to pay a debt that was an eternal debt. And I mentioned that this morning, that Christ had to have been eternal in order for him to pay an eternal debt for us. We see also here that Christ voluntarily shed his blood as our substitute. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through his eternal spirit offered himself? You think about the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Now, I realize animals don't have the same reasoning that we do. But those animals in the Old Testament, those bulls and goats and lambs and birds, never volunteered for the opportunity to die. They didn't get in line and say, oh, we get to sacrifice ourselves. I'll be next. They went ignorantly and dumbly, didn't know what was happening. Next thing they knew, they were dead. Yet Christ did this willingly and intentionally. He came to this earth. The whole purpose of coming to this earth was to die. He was sent here, remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came to this earth for one reason. He came to die. So Jesus Christ willingly and intentionally died for us. Christ was the spotless Lamb of God and as the eternal God and the second person of the Trinity, he became the God-man, the innocent, perfect second Adam. He lived a spotless life well into manhood. You know, it wasn't that, you know, if, if Jesus would have died at age 20 or at age 15 or at any other age, it wasn't God's plan. It was well into manhood. He was 33 years old when he died, as far as we can calculate. They're close to that. And well into manhood, even in the Jewish minds. And so he was uh, set aside by God to do this for us. And the, he resisted Satan's greatest temptations, as we saw this morning again. But without yielding, he was qualified and was the perfect sacrifice for man's sins. So he provided the ultimate provision, but also Christ's sacrifice atones for an eternal duration. He entered into the Holy of Holies once for our eternal redemption. Look at verse 12 again. Neither by the blood of, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. One time. And those sacrifices of the animals had to be over and over and over again. Christ did it once. And it's done. 
It's finished. And we can rejoice that his payment was complete. Paul repeats this several times in this book. In chapter 7 and verse 27, he says, Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Chapter 9 and verse 25 and 26. We see there the same thing. Neither yet, or, sorry, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of the other, of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then one other's again, same chapter, chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins for many, and unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So, again and again, he emphasizes that Christ did it once, for all, finished. His, his sacrifice was complete. And so, compared to the Old Testament sacrifice, compared to the animals, Christ's sacrifice was complete. Theirs was insufficient. Insufficient in provision, insufficient in its duration. And Christ was sufficient in both. And then we see... One more thing I want us to note here is that Christ's sacrifice purged thoroughly. It purged thoroughly. The animal sacrifices purified only the flesh. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. Now as we think about this, the, the blood of bulls and of goats probably spoke of the various offerings and sacrifices that they had. When it uh, speaks there of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, remember they, they killed the red heifer, and that was for purifying people who had touched a dead body and things like that. They, they used the ashes of that heifer, and there was outward cleansing from this. So these were outward cleansing things that the, these purifying things did. The sinner did get some outward relief, by offering these sacrifices and offering these uh, things that God had told them to do. And God was pleased with their obedience, and that's important, and he was able to bless their obedience. So when people obeyed God and did what God said, they took their lamb down and sacrificed their lamb or their goat or or their bull, and uh, they made this offering. God was pleased. They had obeyed God, and God would bless their obedience. And there was a certain degree of purifying of the outer flesh, and it, it enabled them to um, be right with God and enable them to be able to uh, perform different services for God because they did what God asked them to do. And these sacrifices, however, did nothing for the troubled, guilty conscience. You know, that's something really to ponder and think about. As I, as I was studying through this, it, it dawned on me, you, know, you mean in the Old Testament, when I'd take my lamb down and offer it to the sacrifice, it would... It would make me feel better because I knew I did what God wanted me to do. And God did, in a sense, forgive my sin because I was willing to obey him. But it didn't really take away the guilt and the problem deep down inside because it didn't affect the conscience. And we see this 
emphasized here in this passage, the animal sacrifices did not clean the conscience. You know, as we think about the conscience, what exactly is the conscience? Well, here are some attempts to define the conscience. And it's one of those things that's kind of hard to define, but uh, I've got about four different approaches to it. It is the inward uh, faculty of moral judgment. That was one definition. It, invo- uh, it elevates one's conduct in a moral sense. It is an inner prompting that shuns bad and does good. And it is an inner moral impression of one's actions and principles. Your conscience. Perhaps we could just boil it down like this and just say that the conscience is an inner part of us that, that ought to feel bad when we sin. And I say ought to feel bad because there's things that we can actually do to our conscience so it doesn't feel bad. The Bible talks of our conscience being seared or uh, other ways that we are dulling down our conscience. Because if you do something that you know is wrong and you do it enough times, eventually you'll get so that you feel like, I don't feel it's as bad as it used to be. And it doesn't bother us as much as it used to. And that's why we live in a world where people do things that 30 years ago, those kind of things that they're doing would have been considered shameful. And today, people aren't even the bit shamed about it. They act like, well, everybody else does it. What do you expect? You know, and, they, and they do all kinds of things that are bad. Why? They don't feel guilty about it anymore. It doesn't change what, it hasn't changed the right and wrong of what they do. It's just changed their conscience. They have seared their conscience. They have dulled their conscience by uh, the things around us. And that's why as Christians, we need to be very careful. Uh, if you listen to the media or television or things of that nature, you need to be very careful that it's not dumbing down or callousing your conscience into thinking that these things are acceptable and it's okay and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what happens to a conscience when we are are exposed to something again and again and again. I know when I was a boy working on the farm, you know, every every spring when we start baling hay, you know, our hands would get blisters on them uh, and sores on them because we'd be carrying the strings of the bales of hay and, and by the hundreds of them, you know, and, and stacking the hay, and you'd get sore hands. But by the end of the summer, you had big calluses across the, your hands. So it didn't bother you anymore. They were strong and tough because repeated use of the hands in the same way put those calluses on them. And so it is in our hearts. If you repeatedly uh, do something that you know isn't right, eventually you just keep feeling like, well, it's not as bad as it used to be, and I don't feel that way anymore. And so, yeah, I used to think it was bad, but I don't think so anymore. Because our conscience has been seared and calloused. Albert Barnes, in his commentary, gives this insight. He says, the offerings of the Jew... Jews related to the main, uh, to the, mainly to the external purification and were not adapted to give peace to the troubled conscience. They could render the worshiper externally pure so that he might draw near to God and not be excluded by uh, any ceremonial pollution or defilement, but the mind and the heart and the conscience they could not make pure. That's sad. 
all those Old Testament sacrifices, they qualified people to do things that God asked them to do, but they didn't take care of the conscience. They didn't solve those feelings of guilt and, and the, the remorse down in our hearts because of what was, had been done. Thankfully, David was able to write there in the verse that I quoted earlier, Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is a man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There could be blessings from God if they did what was right. So it wasn't like there was no use in what they did, but it was frustrating for them. And these animal sacrifices required ongoing dead works. He mentions here, the end of verse 14, that the blood of Christ will purge us our conscience from uh, your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What do you mean by dead works? You know those Old Testament sacrifices were dead works. They were repeated rituals that they did again and again and again and again because God asked them to do that, but they didn't solve the problem. They were just religious dead works. Now, yes, God told them to do that, but it didn't solve the problem. You know, and today, any religion that adds anything to the faith of Christ's atonement for salvation is is attempting to merit God's salvation by doing dead works. You add anything to the blood of Christ, and it's a dead work. It's not going to solve anything. It's not going to fix anything. And it's just a a mechanical religious activity that people do. And churches are full of dead works today. Things that they do, because that's what we always do. Uh, But it does nothing to resolve the problem of their sin. And uh, such religious people have not had their conscience purged. They still have the guilty conscience. That's why you talk to people. You know, I asked someone just recently, you know, that um, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Well, I don't know. Religious person. But they don't have any peace because they've never trusted Christ alone for the salvation. They're trusting their dead works. Now, Christ's sacrifice. Look at this. This is exciting. Christ's sacrifice purifies the conscience, not just the flesh. Verse 14 again, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He purged our conscience. Now it's the same word, this word purge is the same word that is used up in verse 13 for purifying. It purified or cleansed or purged it removed the the sin and the guilt. And when Christ died, His blood didn't just cover up the problem as the Old Testament sacrifices did. It actually removed the problem. It fully atoned. Romans 5.11 It propitiated our sin. 1 John 2.2 It uh, took away our sins. John 1.29 and then in Acts 3.19, we read, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Taken away. Gone. This, enti- this enabled Christ to purge our consciences. So that deep down inside, we are no longer guilty before God. That's exciting. 
that we don't have to be guilty before God. We can be clean before God because of the blood of Christ, not because of something we have done. That is a wonderful privilege that that was not enjoyed by the Old Testament saints. That's amazing. The King James Bible commentary makes this comment. It says that if God accepted the former ritual as the purifying of the flesh, how much more will God be satisfied by the sacrifice of His Son? He accepts it as so complete that it it inwardly regenerates the individual and purifies his conscience. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us completely and purifies our conscience. That is a wonderful truth. And having cleansed the conscience enables us then to serve the living God. Now think about this with me. He said, it purifies the conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Those who are following their dead works and following their rituals are doing those things over and over again to make themselves feel better, thinking that they're pleasing God, doing their little religious activities that cannot solve their problem, cannot save them, cannot cleanse them, cannot purify their soul. And Christ cleanses us from the inside out so that we can then serve Him Not in outward form, but in sincerity and in truth. Because we've been cleansed from the inside out, we can serve Christ sincerely. And he then promises that we can maintain a pure conscience if we will practice 1 John 1, 9. You know, not only does he cleanse us through his blood, but then in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He continually cleanses us if we'll confess it to Him. So Christ has done so much for us. When Jesus came to die for us, He paid a debt that is far beyond anything that we could possibly pay, far beyond all that the Old Testament sacrifices could pay for. He paid the debt in full, completely. Jesus was born to die. That is an amazing, amazing truth and an even more amazing blessing. Because Christ died in our place, we can have clean hearts and a purified conscience. Our hearts can be clean. We can have purified conscience. Lay our head on our pillow without guilt. We can now serve the Lord with pure motives of love and without thought of merit trying to merit God's favor. We don't have to think that. Religious people are always trying to, I hope I've done enough. I hope I can please God. I hope that God will be pleased with the way I've been and what I've done and what I've said and what I've given. And I hope so. They're trying to do something that will merit God's favor. And God says it's already been done. It's been done in full. Jesus Christ paid the debt in full with His blood. We need to ponder these truths and let them motivate us to serve the Lord with a pure heart and a pure conscience. You know, if there's any that have not yet received the cleansing 
of the conscience. That's what we need. More than anything else, we need God's cleansing. It's the very thing that will cleanse our conscience. Take away the guilt. Set us free. Give us that peace with God. If you've not received that, I trust that you will.